Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley Beef Sticks. Look, I keep saying it, I basically have two nutrition goals every day. Can I get all my fruits and vegetables in? And can I hit my protein macros? And I really struggle to get as much protein as I'm supposed to as a big man. Guess what I have instead? A beef stick. Beef stick. You know, what really sets the Paleo Valley beef sticks apart is that they have naturally occurring probiotics. Did you know that? You know what sets them apart? They're delicious. They are delicious, but they're fermented. And we all know that we need to be eating fermented foods. And, you know, most other beef sticks are filled with a lot of stuff to make them shelf stable. And the reason that Paleo Valley beef sticks, one of the 10 reasons they're so awesome is that they have naturally occurring probiotics. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the proof in the pudding is that our daughters will eat them. I mean, like, you know, I mean, of course it's not a a Slim Jim, but let's be honest, maybe that's not the best for you. No, maybe not. It's not the best for you. And I I can say, grass finished, I can say that in every one of my bags and backpacks and in every one of your bags and backpacks, there is a beef stick and it's our go-to when we need a little afternoon pick me up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, sometimes I feel like I'm not a big snacker, but sometimes I do feel like if I can just leverage some protein right on the spot, that makes a big difference. I... I'm a fan. Huge fan of beef sticks. You guys should get some immediately. For more info and to get 15% off of beef sticks, go to thereadystate.com slash beef sticks. Beef sticks. This episode of the Ready State podcast is sponsored by Element. That's the letters L-M-N-T. Element is literally the tastiest electrolyte drink there is. Here's one of the phenomena that we started to see. As people moved away from processed foods started eating more whole foods, you know, went out of the athlete's diet, salt. Yep. Which is why it is perfectly suited for people who follow like a keto, paleo, low carb kind of diet. Yeah. I think originally, you know, our, our friend Rob Wolf was one of the co-founders was discovering that a lot of the, when people started to rip out some of the carbohydrate in their diet, they were feeling terrible. And when they added a bunch of salt back in, they've started feeling better. You and I started running Element on our bike rides as our sole electrolyte replacement drink, and it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, one thing I don't want to do when I'm doing an athletic event is eat or drink a bunch of super sweet stuff. Like, it actually makes me feel disgusting. Cloying hotness. Yeah, what I need and want and what my body craves is salt. It's interesting. You have been a sort of salt addict for a long time. You used to like use popcorn as a salt conduit, yep. but uh, Element has solved that problem. And we, you and I, and notice are drinking a lot more water because the water is tasty. It's tasty. And I think I'm actually absorbing the water I'm drinking because it's packed with salt. And so I don't have to drink as much water every single day. And I feel super hydrated. And when we say salt, we're talking about electrolytes, minerals, right? That's what we mean. So check it out. We are huge fans and have been heavy element users for a minute now. We are literally drinking it every day. If you want to try some element right now, you can order a sample pack for just the price of shipping, which is $5 in the US. Their sample packs include eight packets. So you can try each of their eight awesome flavors. Go to the readystate.com slash free element. That's free L-M-N-T to check it out. Haley Hollander and Scott Hobson are the co-founders of Pivotal Coaching, a global development company empowering people to fulfill their greatest potential. 
Scott is an internationally recognized leader in human performance, coaching, and education. In a career spanning 25 years, his work has impacted over 100,000 coaches and leaders in more than 100 countries worldwide. At the heart of his extensive leadership work is the ability to empower and develop people by making the complex simple to create breakthrough performances. Scott is renowned for his passion and impact in professional coach development and youth coaching. In addition to Pivotal, Scott is co-founder of PTA Global Education Director for the Gray Institute, a Team Exos Education Specialist, and Chairman of the Global Advisory Board at PowerPlate. Over her 20-plus years, Haley's leadership programming and content creation has influenced a lot of the masses. She has coached and educated thousands of clients, teams, athletes, and coaches from all over the world. Haley is also renowned for program creation and implementation, and her work can be found in major health club chains, university recreation centers, nonprofit wellness centers, and professional sporting training centers. In addition to Pivotal, Haley is the co-director of education for the Gray Institute, Precore Master Coach, and Powerplate Master Trainer. Enjoy our conversation. Scott and Haley, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. Oh, thank you for having us. Yes, excited to be here. Scott, what are you doing right now? Because you're uh, coming in live from a hotel. Just tell us a little bit about wh- why you're traveling. Oh, I love it. Surprisingly to everyone, including myself and Hales, the tennis men's team I joined in the pandemic, uh, we got out of division, we won state, and this idiot is now playing sectionals in Indianapolis with a shot at going to nationals. Who knew? And so you're telling me you've never, ever played tennis. You pick up tennis during the pandemic and now you have a shot at going nationals. Am I getting that? Am I getting that right? Almost. I've played, but I've never competed, been on a team or kind of been coached in that way. I've hit ball. So never played. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And it was really my ego because the better half on the screen as, you know, her team wins a lot. And so I was like, this is my turn. This is my turn. That is a perfect segue into so much that we're, I want to get in with you all. I stalk you all on the internet a lot and watch how you move and how you practice and how you teach. And you're actually, you do what you say people should do, which is not always the truth with coaches. Do you think based, because we'll get into what Pivotal is and how you think and why I think it's so, you are such an extraordinary dyad of teachers, but has that prepared you some way to become and stay athletic past and, and become 40? The, the tennis superstar? I mean, it's, kind, it's kind of bananas, right? You've been practicing <laughs> for this without practicing for this. Can you talk about that a little bit? I think so. Do you want to take that one first, Hales? <laughs> well, I'm just like flattered. I, I got a huge compliment there saying that I move well and you stalk me on social. <laughs> I definitely feel like... Being a mover myself has really carried over into what I can now do as a 40-year-old female playing competitive tennis. And, you know, I'm, I'm out there on the court five days a week for at least two hours minimum. You know, my volume is really high and I don't get injured. I feel amazing. And so by practicing what you preach, it really does uh, give you that longevity in sport. For those of you who don't stalk you on the internet and watch your amazing movement, can you tell everybody what Pivotal Coaching is and what you guys do? Yeah, wonderful. It's really simple for us. We're a a global development company empowering human potential. And every one of those words really means something to us because on one day, we're in our athletic clubs coaching ourselves, one-on-one group or teams, but we also coach 
technical, tactical teams, soccer, rugby, etc. Or we could be coaching the coaches, which is, quote, education. Or we could be doing volunteer work in the community for children at risk, adults in programs of recovery from trauma and addiction. We consider that coaching. And then finally, we, we run a global education company. So we, we travel the world upgrading as many lives as possible through education. So it's, it's interesting when you say, what do we do? Depends on the day of the week and the, the hat we're wearing. But ultimately, if there's a human being in front of us, individual or entire organizations, it's about empowering human potential. That's, that's why we exist. Hill, would you add anything to that? No, I think he covered it pretty, pretty <laughs> <laughs> So let me give you one of the reasons we're talking to this couple today. We have a lot in common. We're friends. I'm, I'm a fan. But <clears throat> we met at Exos at their internal conversation. It was a train the trainers. All of their coaches were there. And there was sort of an internal development weekend. It was one of the first times they'd done that. And I had the chance of watching you all present and inside with sort of didactic, laying out a, a high level view of your principles and how you organize and think about and structure your thinking. And then we went outside and I actually did the stuff, which I never do because I'm always just watching and participating and, you know, and I'm. What I, he's not saying is he's like, I'm way too cool to do the stuff. <laughs> I hate organized people. fun. I hate organized fun. Yeah. It's like my, my negative. But I was so taken by your approach and how you taught and, and it made such intuitive sense. Like the whole, the whole time, the couple hours that I was with you guys in that, in that realm, I felt like it was just confirmation bias for me the whole time. <laughs> like I was like, Oh, I'm at home. I've know these people. They've been split off from my soul. And one of the reasons I wanted to have this talk was that I, you know, with Juliana was saying, Hey, I'd love to have people on that. I feel like are the 10th man, which was a reference from this Brad Pitt um, movie, world war Z where the Israelis ended up understanding that the zombie threat was coming because the 10th man was the person who looked at all the other things that potentially the, the whole group of 10 had missed. It was the obligation of the 10th man to say, are we doing this right? Are we being objective? Are we understanding what's going on? And the sort of the information that you brought and the way you were thinking was really intuitive and, and vital in understanding my understanding of how the world works. But I felt like it really is different than how other people are processing a formative teaching model, a movement model. And that, and that was why I mean, you are honestly the first guest in our 10th person sort of iteration where we're talking to coaches about this. Could I just add some sub questions to that? I'm not sure if <laughs> there was even, no question. I just wanted to set that up. question, but, but when you're answering whatever question Kelly has, could you let everybody know what Exos is, what you were actually presenting so people can sort of get some, some color there. And what was your actual question? It's no question. It was a statement, and I'm going to interpret it through the medium of dance. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> well, Exos, obviously, formerly Athletes Performance, is you know one of the world leaders in high-level human performance, from military, technical, tactical, sport, Olympic, collegiate, high school. And so Kelly and ourselves, it was their inaugural event, and they brought in all of their top coaches, physiotherapists, and leaders from around the world that be upgraded by our, our education, of which we were one and Kelly was one. And what we were doing that day, I did two things from what I remember. One was introducing them to our principles and philosophy of our movement model. And in that day, I just went after the big rocks. I remember, Kelly, it was the foot and ankle, hip and pelvis, thoracic spine and shoulder. And I just said, all right, let's give you a taste of how we view these big rocks in the body. 
And then the second one was around really our passion is inside the human body as a human being, right? So the art of coaching is to connect in significant and meaningful ways to the human being because they're driving the bus. So that, that day was like connecting what we now call the, the technical skills of a coach versus the human skills of a coach. Each of them have a plethora. But that, that's what we delivered that day was the two bookends of, yeah, you've got the movement technical, but there's a human being. And until you understand that they're the ones driving the bus, it's very hard to upgrade movement. So I think that's hopefully that answered the question. That's what we were doing at that event. 2017 now, mate, I think. Wow. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, I'm already, I'm like 31 years old now. Yeah, you did. Well, first of all, you did a great job of answering a statement that had no question connected to it. So, I mean, I already have to give you props to that. That was awesome. And I think the reason it feels like it was yesterday, because that was probably the last time anyone really went anywhere to a conference. So it could have been yesterday or three years ago or four years ago. Let me ask you too, your associations with the Gray Institute, your master coaches, you teach, I follow your, I'm like, oh, they're in China. Oh, they're in Brazil. Like you go all over the world helping these gigantic sports institutions, countries, you know, governing bodies kind of wrap their head around holistic human development around movement. How did that come to be with the two of you who are really equally capable and competent coaches? Because it's sort of unfair. Like, for me and Juliet, Juliet is the brains and the operation. She can just run this whole thing, and then I just do my little stretching videos on the side. But the two of you, I feel like, are really a double header, and it's really not quite fair. You know, I just want a little bit more. I just want you to coach a little bit more. That's what I'm saying, Juliet. But tell us how you got to that. How does Pivotal come with you two ending up in that position? Well, I mean, equally, both Scott and I have combined over 40 years' experience in the industry. But separately, we have our own individual 20 plus years of experience in the industry. And those paths met one day in San Diego when I was attending a mentorship that he was teaching. That content inspired me so much that I decided I wanted to work for the company that he was teaching for. And so at first, he was my boss. Oh, how things have changed. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because Juliet has always been my boss. (laughs) (laughs) But now I'm his boss, so the the roles changed over. But in that interim, before I moved to Chicago for the love of my life, Mr. Scott Hobson, we had our own individual education careers. And when I moved to Chicago, we both spent all of our career, you know, upgrading clubs and operations. And we were at a place in that time when we could either find another job or we looked at each other and we said, you know what, why don't we take what we love so much, which is coaching and educating and what people come to us for, which is connecting the dots and empowering potential and create a company that gives that to the world because that's what the world is asking for. So in short, that's kind of how we came to be pivotal. And just just some business logistics, because I love this stuff. But when did you actually start the company? And, you know, how have you grown over the years? Like, is it still the two of you? Do you guys have a huge staff? Sort of what what is the actual business of Pivotal Coaching look like? In 2017. And a little caveat to everything that Haley just nailed is I was coming home from work as the National Director of Midtown Athletic Clubs. Haley was overseeing two of our biggest, most successful clubs. 
And I just had one of those kind of emergent moments where I said, it's, it's time for a change. And you don't even know what the change is. You're like, I'm just going to go home and tell her I'm, it's time to quit our jobs. And I did, you know. <laughs> and I said, oh, FYI, I already did. I forgot to tell you that part. On the, <laughs> and honestly, on that drive home, I called four or five of those big names, Kel. I, I called the Mark Verstegans, the Gary Grays, and, and other big people and said, what would you say if I told you that Haley and I was available to do these three things, only these three things? And they were the things that we knew we were gifted at, have a relentless passion for, and we wanted to give it back to the world. And I had everyone call me back within two hours, and a week later I was on a plane to China for four weeks. It was like that synchronistic moment, like it was one of those. Thus the name Pivotal. It kind of represented our, our pivotal moment to transform ourselves, right? So that's kind of how it came to, to fruition. I love that story because it is always really interesting to see and hear about how people kind of go from like a more traditional career to thinking I need to be doing my own thing and what's behind that. So, so you didn't actually answer my question, but you answered an awesome question and something I'm super interested in, but I'm just wondering, you know, how have you guys grown as a company or is it still the two of you have, do you guys have a big staff that's supporting what you're doing? You know, what's been sort of like the business trajectory of Pivotal? Our growth between 2017 and 2019 was like tri- triple, quadruple, to the point where literally the week of everything shutting down, February the 28th of 2020, Bank of America said, you are the next ticket for us. We're going to invest in you because what you've done in two short years, we need to be a part of. And then pandemic hit. <laughs> and they stopped calling. So the, point, we, the trajectory was, is, was huge. Now, we actually, we wanted to work with everybody but not for anybody ever again and so we actually have decided having operated major companies and managed thousands of people it's still just the two of us and that's how we're going to keep it what we have grown is distributors and partners what we're not going to do in the short term is have people work for us we really don't want to continue with that model not short term anyway what would you say house no i think that especially for me, a lot of my role now is kind of what you see in the public, the social media and the marketing side, on top of what I deliver in terms of live education. So I would like our company to grow. And we were at the cusp just before the pandemic. And I feel like we'll get there within the next year again. I mean, even I was creating job listings at the time when everything started to shut down. So we were just right there. You are all in this really interesting place. As a super nerd coach, I sort of can grok. And that is because of the the diversity of the, the places you're in. You're working at Olympians. You're working at this high-level sports performance. But you're also looking in development of foundational movement skills. It's rare that I see coaches who actually dabble and, and dabble's not the right word. You're not even a dilettante who are so competent on both sides of the spectrum. And one of the, the salient pieces of my sort of understanding and how I process the world is making sure that what I'm teaching to a beginner can scale infinitely forever all the way up to the high performance, right? That there's a through line of thought and a clear moment of development. A lot of times people aren't conscious of that. How does that influence what you're doing? Because, you know, you, you, I'd like you to talk more about sort of your, your, some of your volunteer work. Juliet and I are always loving that high performance informs these other things, but you guys do such a good job on either side. How do you do that? How do you market to that? How do you, and is that a key piece of understanding why Pivotal is so good at what you do? 
I'll, uh, I'll start, but I'm definitely going to want Hales to, to do the majority of this. I'll go backwards. Is that one of the things that makes us distinctly different? 100% yes. 100% yes. That's probably one of the only things that we could truly say, authentically say, that's what we offer at a world-class level, is to connect the dots, the red thread that you were talking about, between the diversity of populations, demands of movement, capacity and purpose, all the way through to how you actually coach that, different countries, different cultures, different languages, different linguistics, different, you know, to do what we do, I, I, I think that's quite unique, that part of what we do. It's also what we have a passion for, which, which helps. I think the, the biggest soundbite I could give you, mate, would be the guiding principles. You would have heard me in that very first workshop you watched me talk, talking was, our job, Pivotal, is to not give you recipes. I'm done with that. I, I don't, if you want to talk about periodization for four-year macro cycle, you, you've got the wrong person. I do it, but I don't want to tell you how I do it. Go, there's other people that love doing that. What we will share are the key ingredients. So the, the model we talk about is being a head chef. Well, you have to start as a line chef. You've got to learn how to slice and cut and dice and chop. And then you become a sous chef. Now you've got to be responsible for cooking a variety of different menus. And then you've got the head chef. He says, well, the cooking is the easy part. How do I create an experience that my members, my, my customers keep coming back? Our job is to empower coaches with these key ingredients, to become masters at the key ingredients of movement, coaching, and programming so that they can create infinite recipes. And that was the big shift for us is I don't want to create recipes for people anymore because until your individual, your team, your coaches walk through the door, it's going to change. The recipe is invariably going to change. Our job is to give you the GPS coordinates to know how to reroute. And that's kind of what makes our red thread, what Haley said, those connecting of the dots is we show people what the actual key dots are. And I, I don't think our industry's done a great job. Some people have done an exceptional job, but I don't think we do a great job as an industry on agreeing on what are the fundamental ingredients of movement and coaching. And I would just add to your question there, Kelly, you know, not only do we have a, a large inventory of ingredients, as Scott has shared, but we also are so driven by our volunteer work. And I, I myself and Scott, we both got our, our starts and our passion from... Can you hear that? It's the, yes. it's the Chicago Air and Water Show, and we live on the lake. So there's literally <laughs> jets flying over right now. So I apologize. But what I was saying was that we both got our passion from coaches who were volunteering. They helped to guide us and ignite our imagination and what was possible within ourselves. And I think that that's what drives us today is to volunteer, to give that back to other kids, students, athletes all around the world so that they might have the same opportunities that we were given through movement. With that sort of scope of vision and experience and exposure, you all have been doing this long enough where you've seen sort of trends emerge and you can see the trends at the top of the sport and you can see the trends with kids coming in and learning movement practice and learning their bodies for the first time. Are you noticing or picking up these m sort of meta trends in population? Are we doing a good job developing kids to be movers? Is it getting worse? And then how has that been complicated by COVID? Because I think you all are seeing the whole elephant. So when you describe it, you really have a good view of, and a handle on inputs and outputs from 
children all the way up to Olympians. Just my color commentary is that Scott and Haley were both laughing when Kelly was asking that question. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll let you guys take it away. But it was it was nice to see your reactions. Simple. Three words. Yes. No. No. Yes. We're seeing trends. No, it's not getting better. And no, we're not helping the problem. Yes. No. No. The foundational statement I have for this, because the next thing we're bringing out is our youth movement certification globally. But the reason I say that is because the foundational guiding principle is we have the first generation of youth in history with a lower life expectancy than their parents. We've literally reversed the curve. Our children are scheduled to die sooner from adult diseases than we will. But my but my fourteen year old is an elite pitcher, right? That's, you know, I mean, I mean, isn't how do I reconcile those two things? I'm just kidding. I don't have a fourteen year old. They're on their fifth labrum surgery by sixteen, but they're elite. Yeah, yeah. The second part of that is just take the U.S. alone, right? We have over fifty five to fifty six million kids a year in registered sport between the ages of six and fourteen. Fifty six million. We have three point five million coaches coaching those fifty six million kids. 95% are volunteers with no education and certification in children, let alone movement or coaching in children. And so when you look at the, the big three or four reasons why kids drop out of movement, it's because of that. It's neurotic parents, ill-equipped coaches, and reoccurring preventable injuries. The fourth one is it conflicts with the neurotic idea of what we need to achieve academically. These kids are getting four hours of sleep a day. They're practicing tennis 5 a.m., then they go to school for eight hours, then they practice another two hours of tennis, then they go and do four hours of homework and repeat all year round. And they're being coached by people who aren't educated in coaching kids, let alone movement. So I think those two statements for us is why we're so passionate about youth movement and, and more importantly, youth development through movement, social, emotional, cognitive, spiritual, you name it, is that it's getting worse by the day, the stats are unequivocal on that. So, yeah, it's, it has trends, very clear. There's causal factors, very clear. And no, we're not helping it. What do you guys think the solution is? Because, you know, we see this, I mean, not only professionally, but just even in our personal lives, right? Like our kids have both done, you know, a variety of sports and their chosen sport now is water polo. But, you know, kids want to participate in all these sports. The only way they can happen is if there's some dad or mom who wants to volunteer their time to coach and they're not going to do it if they have to go through some, you know, jump through a bunch of hoops of learning how to coach or, or whatever it is. <laughs> the hoop of being the hoop of skilled being having a shred of skill. And so, you know, I mean, I don't know. How do you guys think we approach this? I mean, to me, it should be a minimum that like everyone who interacts with children should be a positive coaching alliance certified coach. I mean, that should be like a bare minimum. But again, you go back to this thing of like, okay, here I'm some dad who's going to volunteer my time to coach the middle school volleyball team. And, you know, I actually have a full-time job. I'm not going to go educate myself on or I don't how know to, where to start. Yeah. Or where to even start or set up some kind of standards. Like, what do you guys think? Like, where do we even, how do we even begin to chip away at what I agree is a massive problem? You want to start or finish it, Hales? I'll start. You finish. <laughs> I would say, you know, one of the first steps in, in, in terms of finding a solution is creating accessible education for any human being that is going to coach a child to move. Because if we can provide them with the, the right information to help inspire that, that youngster to move in ways that they weren't doing before, but do it in a way that's safe that's, you know, not so much focused on an outcome, but more focused on let's explore what this looks like for you, movement discovery through healthy movement nutrition, 
that's that's really what we need to do in, in terms of step one. Make it accessible. You said healthy movement nutrition. What do you mean by that? I'll let Scott explain. <laughs> that's one in our youth movement. That's we, we call it uh, movement nourishment. You know, we look at these physical development models, and then we look at the reformations of these models, and we look at the key skills. There's nothing that we don't know. It's just no one's really connecting the dots. But when we talk about nutrition, fueling the body, that's what movement does. I, I don't know any one component that can help us not only prevent the injuries and upgrade performance, but reverse the curve of disease and disability in youth more than movement. If I look at all the research, there's nothing, no single factor that would reverse that curve more than nutrient-rich movement, movement that nourishes mind and body. So it's kind of one of our guiding principles for our, our new certification. The thing I'd add to what Hal said perfectly is, you probably know this with, with kids, is the Khan Academy, the online educational resource that's exploded and not only is not seen as a conflict to education and public schooling, but it's what kids come home and use now. It's a free online, the world's best subject experts all contribute to Khan Academy and kids get this brilliant education that supports their in-school education. Our concept is, well, why isn't there a Khan Academy of Movement? Because when you look at Khan Academy, they've got every subject matter in the world except... Movement. That's our job, is to create a Khan Academy globally. So I've kind of announced the, the big picture for youth movement, which, Kel, you know, I've been knocking on your door a while about this pre, pre to, prior to uh, COVID, is I think we need a Khan Academy that's accessible to Haley's Point to everybody, that they can do anywhere on any device, anytime, that's no barrier to entry, but it's actually fueled by the best brains in the world around child development and movement. Because if 95% of people, to your point, Juliet, have not only the mind but the heart to give back and be of service in what little time they have anyway to coach your kids for free, the least we can do is upskill them to A, not bus kids, and B, upgrade movement. Because the idea that it should all be done by a strength conditioning coach drives me bonkers because none of them are volunteering their time. None of them are showing up on a muddy soccer pitch at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday night for free. You know, we can say, this is our world. We, we own youth movement certified. Okay, but you're not actually showing up to help any kids. Meanwhile, millions of people are giving up their time for free. They just lack the skill sets and the information. It's not rocket science. I'm pretty sure we, we could <laughs> bridge that gap. And the last thing is we need a big voice. We need a really big voice to make it heard, just like Positive Coaching Alliance, which is everywhere now, right? doesn't matter who you are, you go on and do your modules to coach little kickers or softball or kids rugby, you have to do PCA. Why couldn't you just make that the same for our, our concept of youth movement? Yeah, I mean, I really love that idea. And I think the accessibility is so, I mean, the accessibility and have it technologically capable so people can, you know, listen to a movement seminar while they're doing the dishes or whatever they're doing, right? Like make it super accessible. And I think it's so smart too, because there's so many people in this industry who I think, have a voice and want to give back and share and could care less if they're making money, if it's helping, you know, helping sort of move the curve the opposite direction. So I think that's a genius idea. And I think you should start, you know, getting all your friends on board and making content because I think it's so needed. Seriously, um, what do you guys even do with your days? So I, lazy. I think, I think probably your main problem is you've been emailing Kelly about this, but, you know, we can talk about that later. The back <laughs> question, I'm just on a, kind of a roll right now today. Keep bringing it, sorry, baby. Sorry. You're not um, wrong. The sub question I have, though, is 
how do you get these people to know they should care? Because I find that always to be the problem. Like, let me give you, and this is, this maybe isn't even the best example, but like our daughter does, you know, this Olympic lifting club, you know, her sport is water polo. She's a goalie. We put her in Olympic lifting club because we want her to be strong and injury proof coordinated and coordinated and, you know, all these things. And then we were showing this video to her water polo coach and her water polo coach's reaction was, well, oh my God, isn't she going to get injured doing that? And isn't that bad for her? Right. So, I mean, I think we forget in these high performance environments that like, that's actually like 98% of youth coaches don't come from a tradition of strength and conditioning and they don't understand movement. that strength and conditioning is a way of practicing movement, right? There's, there's such a, there's like such a massive disconnect. So it's like, I feel like you have to educate people first that they should even care. And then once you get them to care, then you say, dude, I have the Khan Academy for movement and here's where to get all this free stuff. But like, there's this, there's a gap there. How do you deal with that gap? I think it's obviously multifaceted, right? But the biggest thing that comes to our mind is you've got to go after the real stakeholders, which is the parents. That's the Starbucks mums who change, invariably change the world when they decide to. And I think when you look at, say, just travel sport, travel soccer alone in the US, how many billions of dollars that brings in for kids six through 18 years of age. Parents spending three to three and a half thousand dollars a season on their kids to go play for these travel soccer teams. That's just one sport. Those parents want to know not only that my kid's being developed and enjoying the sport that they love, but actually they're being taken care of. I think the answer is we don't go after the coaches first. You don't go after the schools first. You go after the real stakeholders, the real stakeholders who actually have all the influence, who are on the advisory boards at the schools, who are on the parent community boards at the schools. I think you, and ultimately when you look at these volunteer organizations like AYSO, the largest development soccer organization in the US, it's all volunteer. The directors of every board are volunteer parents. I think you go after the stakeholders and you need a really loud, loud microphone to do it. Because when you look at PCA, how incredible they are, you look at their board and it's Hall of Famers and ESPN analysts and pro athletes and it works. You need a large voice to speak to the stakeholders, in my opinion. It's not going to go through the coaches. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, would, I would jump in and just say that I think this is so important about shifting the parameters of who owns what. I really I, I like that, right? Because then you, you really are driving this bigger conversation. You know, we know we just worked with and supported England soccer for the the last little Europa Cup thing they did. And the I don't know if you know uh, Scott Rosenblatt, super coach, PhD, brilliant. But he has said that there's a generation of young footballers who care about their nutrition, who care about their sleep, who are really pushing this old guard of strength and conditioning. These kids are like, mm, it's not good enough. What you're doing is actually not delivering enough. And what we're starting to see is that the top-down trickle that we're, you know, the mimicking of social media. When youth, when youth kids see kids eating, like, you know, professional ballers eating food and talking about sleep and recovery, that comes down from that side too. Are you seeing those trends at your high-end sport where people are realizing that it's a real competitive advantage to do the things like have normative range of motion or sleep? <laughs> you know, I mean, the bar is so low sometimes I'm like, really, you're going to pay me to tell you that? Sounds good. Yeah. You mean like when they're saying, how can I, how can I peak wattage on a, on a Kaiser? And you're like, well, it helps if you can get in position like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> same, 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 same. Are you guys seeing those trends at the top that there are, there are changes that we, this is, a, we're going to lose a generation of people here, but we may, or we may not capture the whole generation of people in time. Sometimes that's how I feel. I'm like, we're going to have to start again, younger kids. 
the latter one for me is what I'm seeing. We're going to have to start again. I, I think our industries, movement industries, you know, from health to wellness, fitness, performance, rehab, we think we're innovative, but we're actually not. We're very reformative. We take the same thing and we keep reforming it. There's, there's, there's really no innovation to what we do. And sometimes you've got to wait until the thing crumbles to build it back up. And going back to those stats I talked about with the youth, like we're pretty much at the hitting bottom. We've hit bottom. Problem is, every bottom has a trap door. So we can always go a bit further. <laughs> we, need to, we need to use that bottom to our advantage now and say, here's the facts. I think the stakeholders would agree that's enough. That, I think that's where it starts. I think it's going to be starting again. I, I do. And I think, to your point, the influencers who are currently in place, I don't know they've got that infinite mindset to shift the inner place from which they operate. Kelly and I were just guests on a different podcast and someone asked, we were talking about sort of the, our industry at large. And I think we've said this a few times before, but I mean, we sort of have this feeling that we've done like a really good job in our industry, sort of like making everybody in this little mini vertical much better, right? Like the athletes who are already athletes and are ready inclined to exercise and eat well, like they're eating even better and they're taking even better supplements and doing all the right and better recovery things and getting a movement coach and understanding all those things. But, you know, we've just been like talking to ourselves in this, in this little chamber of other people who are just like us. So we've made ourselves better in this industry, right? I mean, I'm not saying you guys, because you guys obviously are out there really trying to make a difference in sort of the larger world. But I think by and large in this industry, we've just done a great job of making people in the industry and people who relate to it better. But that's like 2% of people. Um, and we've done a horrible job, both with kids and adults alike, just sort of leaving them and saying, you know, like, look, if you can't relate to all these crazy things we're doing, you're out. Yeah, it's peak industrial fitness. Yeah. We've commoditized fitness to make money. That's what its goal is. Yeah, so I, it seems like you guys are really sort of trying to buck that trend a little bit and actually be inclusive and teach regular people how to do things or, or at least teach their coaches, which I think is, is the key. You know, it makes me think of something that I heard you say before anybody, Carol, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here and messing it up, but it was the, the concept that every human being has the right to own their own health. And so who are we to say... You've got to see the physio for this. You've got to see the strength coach for this. You've got to see the personal trainer for it. If one person has the answers to all of your ailments, <laughs> you have the right to go wherever you need to go to own your own health. I think that's so true with the topic we're talking about is we're going to have to break some existing belief systems and models of what is and isn't in our scope of practice, what is and isn't appropriate. I, I see no downside to the next-door neighbor who's coaching my kids soccer for free five nights a week, learning how to do a safe plyometric to prevent 400% increase in teenage girls' ACLs, because that's what it is. They have a 400% increase in a double ACL tear compared to boys. If they've had one, there's a 400% chance you're going to have a double more than if you had the same age boy. And then isn't there something like a 40% chance you're going to have a knee replacement if you've had the ACL, right? So it's like not just that Higher initial. That. So some huge percentage of ACL tear people have to get their knee replaced later in life. So it's, it's a big impact. Let, let me let me jump in. This is this is so, I think, in quite, there's a whole bunch of physios on the net. And I'm just going to throw us all under the bus right here who say things like injury prevention is not possible. Do you guys agree with that? Can we reduce injury risk? Can we prevent injuries? I would use the word mitigate. Absolutely, we can mitigate. Let me let me just drill down on that. Isn't that just like a? Are you equivocating like a wimp? You're like mm, mitigation, <laughs> attenuation, 
Right. I mean, so FIFA is a great example. FIFA came out with a jumping program because they saw this epidemic in youth girls, particularly of having these lower extremity injuries. And they came to it with a simple program that coaches could do. And you don't have to do it well. And it proved to reduce injury. Kids who sleep or don't get sleep are more injury prone. Right. So if I can answer that question, you sleep, you're less likely to get injured. Isn't that injury prevention or is that just are we just mitigate or splitting hairs? No, I, I agree with you. I would say absolutely. If we got rid of the nomenclature game, yeah, of course you can. It's like saying everyone knows that smoking really increases your chances of lung cancer. In fact, there's a picture of death on the packet and you do it anyway. That's like saying, oh, but if you don't smoke, you definitely won't get lung cancer. And if you do smoke, you definitely will. That's not what we're saying. But if you do smoke, there's a really, really high chance it's going to cause disease. Fact. The truest, same is true for us. If you move with these key ingredients – there's a really, 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 really proven chance that you're not going to get injured like the people that don't do it. One of the things I think it gets lost in this in this conversation is that we're thinking that if you do this secret squirrel squat program, <laughs> you won't get injured, right? That's what I think people are thinking. And yet one of the reasons I think sport is so important is that it may be the only place where we can talk about sleep and nutrition and self-soothing and stress and breathing and movement and play, right? Where else do you get this information? Because what I see is that I'm like, well, if you're going to go see your physician, she's not going to have time to talk to you about it. And your physio definitely doesn't get reimbursed. It's not a stakeholder in this. So where do do you get this information? Well, it's come out of sport. That's why it's, you know, it's crucial that you have the exposure. And, you know, and that's not even a question. Sorry, Julian. But (laughs) one of the things that I think that you do really well. Get to it. Get to it, baby. One of the things, because we're having a convo here, just not questions, is that you know you spend a lot of time working with trainers at big facilities. Like you know, you go to Idea. You know, you've probably been to Camp Fit Pro. There are a lot of people teaching and training people. Not, I'm going to use the word coaches. Use the word trainer that everyone else uses in like YMCA environments. Those are the healthcare providers who are giving all of the information about how to do all of this to the average person who has no exposure to high level sport. Do you agree? Yes. Yes. So at some point, I mean, how do we do a better job then of, of shifting? Because I think this is what I, I have come to believe that because of sport, we know what to eat because of sport. We know how to sleep. We know how to take care of our tissues. Like the things that have come out of performance, it's Franz Bosch. There's more variation in waltzing than there is in sprinting. Because of sprinting, we know best ways to jump and land and to move, right? We know how to to get the most out of the human body. Why can't we sort of apply those lessons so more globally? Why is there so much dissonance and friction into just taking these lessons and applying to youth sports and across the the platform? I'll just say something quick. I, I think the system is set up to block it. The systems that we operate in are designed operationally and certainly fiscally, financially, to keep us in separate silos and never sh- shall we cross and share information. We, we see this daily because one day, for grants to we'll be doing movement assessment with physical therapists, and neither of us are physical therapists. Interesting. Next day, we're educating personal trainers on personal training, not strength conditioning, personal training. Are you kidding me? Movement's movement. Load is load. What are you talking about? And then we're in Brazil with professional soccer, and we go home. And people say, man, how, how do you wear the different hats? We're like, 90% was the same. It was just a different delivery. Our industry is set up to think that we're disagreeing and living in different worlds. Well, again, because you guys are teaching principles. And principles 
it doesn't matter what audience you are teaching them to, their principles. Correct. So I think that's is that the system itself has to be changed. And I'm hoping that's one of the good things to the pandemic, because I think right now about 33 to 35% of all the major clubs, studios, and gyms in North America alone are coming back. So there's going to be a new birth of something. Something's going to fill that space. That's, that's one of the positives. Something innovative we didn't even know we didn't know will come into the space. Do you guys think, uh, do you worry a little bit about that? Um, I mean, I guess this would be for all three of you as sort of movement coaches and people who are passionate about movement. I do think actually going to the gym and in obviously very varying degrees of quality was the only place for most people where they got any movement coaching. I mean, and, and I, or any unconditional positive regard. Yeah. And now I think it's awesome that people can get their Peloton and their tonal and all their connected fitness. And, you know, it's super easy through rogue. You can buy a home, you know, a full garage gym set up. And so I think maybe that's kind of where a lot of people are going to go is back into, you know, they're going to go into their garage and onto their Peloton and into their living room. And that's where they're going to get their fitness. But I, you know, I do worry a little bit that that's going to, you know, even take the what 30 or 40% of people who go to the gym out of a coached environment and we're going to sort of see a loss of movement coaching in people's lives. Do you guys agree? What do you think? I agree. I think that there's going to be a divot in the fitness industry. I think that, you know, many people as um, consumers of movement are embracing this digital wave, this ability to do it in my own space, in my own way. But ultimately I think like, any human being who is going to find, hey, you know, I'm struggling to do this, I'm struggling to lose weight, I'm struggling to perform better, they're going to seek the advice of professional. You know, you can't do surgery on yourself. So even though we're going to see this divot right now, I think that people are going to, you know, eventually come back to the space where they can engage with a professional that helps them get to where they want to go and really change their movement mindset that I do need to be in a space where I can be supported by individuals of similar mindsets, that I can compete at a higher level because the person next to me is now working just as hard as me. Those things will come back, but we definitely are going to see a divot for a while. Let me pivot here. What are we doing right? What are we getting right around teaching kids, development of athleticism? What, what, like, what are the wins? In, in those early years, between like 6 and 18, well, actually really more like 6 and 14, we have a 75% uptake of the population sign up for movement. 75%. I mean, that's huge. Three out of four kids between the age of 6 and 14 are in registered sport. That's huge. You take those naps. You say 75%? Yeah, but here's the problem. Within a 12-month period, 80% drop out. That's the, that's the issue. In a 12-month period, guess what age that is? They go from, I love movement, I love sport, I love teammates, I love being coached, to that's not part of my life. And actually, by the time they get to 16 years of age, we now have 85 to 90% of high school kids don't even meet the recommended daily minimum. So we go from 75% exceeding it to 85% underneath within a 12-month period. So it would make logical sense to this idiot's brain that we might want to look at that 12-month period and say, what the heck is going on? Hmm. Yeah, right. What can we do differently during that 12-month period? Right? So you talk about getting small to get big. It seems like we're doing a great job at the beginning. 
don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We do awesome. And we have opportunity and access that we've never had before. Less barriers than we've had before. So we're doing a lot of right. But along the way, something's going gradually wrong that within 12 months, the kids drop out. And that, those biggest reasons are uh, conflict with academic performance, too many injuries. Uh, we've got some stats on that. It's scary how many kids end up in the ER. 2.6 million a year end up in the ER, not just busted, in the ER through non-contact preventable injuries. Ouch. And they're coached by 95% of adults who have no experience. And they've got neurotic parents who want them to be Tiger Woods and get a 4.5 and do 15 AP classes. There's a 12-month period where we kind of know the wheels come off. Might be a good place to start. You've sort of let the cat out of the bag a little bit in terms of sort of some of the places you're going. But just as a sort of, again, I relate to you on so many different levels as parents, as you know, coaches, what are you nerding out about yourselves and your own sort of physicality, practice, understanding? Like, who's what are like, you talking about? Scott's on his way to becoming national tennis champion. Well, th- that's what I mean. I mean, like, where where are you? What's kind of you know informing or just lighting up your physical coaching practice selves? You know what I mean? Like, you're like this person. Ooh, I don't. I think Scott should go first on this one. I want to marinate. Nice words. Nice words. <laughs> <laughs> just explained that uh, falling in love with tennis and and for me I competed in rugby both in the UK and in Chicago at a national D1 level for years and then you know when everyone was half my age and twice my size I realized it was a good time to stop doing that and I started coaching it's been so long since I myself now and back in that realm of feeling what it is to be the athlete, the teammate, being coached, performing, it's, it's reignited my desire for challenge and uncertainty and the unknown. And so in the last two years, I, I've become obsessed with things on the water. I'd never water skied, tried it, now I'm obsessed. Never done stand-up paddle, now I'm like, okay, I've got to go now, today. And growing up in cities, you don't get a lot of opportunity and access to big bodies of water that are safe or clean right so living on lake michigan now i've fallen in love with sports that i always wanted to try and skiing i just took up skiing a, a couple of winters ago and i'm like obsessed so along the physical realm it's reattaching myself to the the unknown and the leap of faith that comes with i'm clearly going to fail at this it's not an if like I'm, I'm going to fall down that mountain the first time I try and ski. And it's really, uh, I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's re-sparked to me the thing that was the thing when I was a kid, the thing that even got me into this industry. And it's, it's interesting how you kind of lose it and then you, you reclaim it. So on a physical level, I've really started to expand into new movement skills, technical skills, sports skills that for one reason or another, I never tried, even though I always wanted to. I love that. And I also love that you have to eat your own cooking. You know, you're like, you <laughs> yeah, should like, be, is this working? You should do a dynamic warm up. You're like, well, I have three minutes before my tennis. Set. Like, okay. Here's the realities of where the rubber hits the road. And I think it's, you're like, I'm in a hotel and I can't, I can't organize my macros. Like, I guess I'll eat this strawberry in this bar. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting to see the realities of trying to actually fit it together in your own adult practice. And what you get then also, right, is, you see how the resiliency that you've built in the things you could control, the, the daily track, like now it's showing off. It was, it was 96 degrees, 92% humidity, and 
people were changing their shirts every three games. And I was like, as the game went on, I was getting more alert, more alive. Like it, it was because I've spent these years building a robust engine. Now it shows up. And so it reminds you like, oh yeah, I guess what we do does work. <laughs> so similar to Scott, you know, I, I'm really into to tennis. I've been competing in tennis for the last five years on the team. But, um, you know, lately my focus has been more about recovery and, and just working on breathing because I've had some health issues. I was diagnosed with a rare condition of subglottic stenosis, which is why I had surgery recently. There was a tumor growing in my trachea and it changed everything I could do. I wasn't able to do the simple things like walking up a flight of stairs. So my mindset has shifted. It's opened my eyes a lot to, you know, what are the simple things when it comes to recovery about like breathing tempo, how much to breathe. That's really been my focus lately, but I'm very eager to get back on court. I always, you can't leave it there. Tell them what was, by the day of surgery, what was the diameter of your trachea? The diameter of my trachea was about six millimeters or the size of a stud earring. Oh my God. Trachea is just, just so everyone knows yeah. that's your windpipe. Yeah. There, there's some important things that happen with your trachea. Could you whistle on command, like just by breathing? I mean, that's... Pretty much every time I was inhaling, it sounded like a whistle. I was like, darn. Your CO2 tolerance must have been through the roof. My blood pressure was also very high. <laughs> and just the simple things that you don't really realize are so connected to your breathing. It changed a lot for me. <laughs> they couldn't intubate her. They, she goes into surgery and they're like, we're having a problem. They literally, her trachea was smaller than the intubation tube. Get that pediatric uh, oh well, so neonate. You, you look and seem like you were recovering really well. Are you? I am. Yes, I am. Juliet and I, as I don't know if you all, I mean, you just went through this, but we are suddenly playing a very different game in our, we're almost 50 and we're playing this called game called durability because the shiz is coming. Like things are going to pop up. And what we're starting to see is maybe it's not my performance on the tennis court, you nerd, but <laughs> I was able to rebound from my knee surgery a little faster than the average kid. And it's like, I put in a lot of time to make that happen. So kudos to you for having the longest pre-surgery prep anyone has ever done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding no that the shiz is coming. I sometimes wake up, look at the pillow, pick up the latest hair that's fallen out and go, what kept it in yesterday, man? <laughs> yeah, you're like, why now? Why today? What is going yeah, on here? Is this normal? Look at how far ahead you are of Kelly. I mean, you're just winning right now. Winning. Hey, hon, In the we're going to have a talk about my feelings after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a note for our feelings meeting that you felt like... Well, this is a perfect segue. Are you feeling built down? Go ahead. This is a perfect segue to what I was most excited to talk to you guys about in this conversation, which is working together with your spouse... Kelly and I have obviously been doing it a bit longer than the two of you, but nevertheless, it's it's always an ongoing thing. And I just would love to hear like what's worked well, what's been a struggle for you guys, what really bugs you, what you know, what you're working on. How do you guys manage it? I think it bodes well for me to let you say everything, and I just say agree. <laughs> Smart man. Oh well, I you know I think it's working together has just been such a joy because. You know, Scott's my best friend. We love the same things. We like to do the same things, but don't get me wrong. We also like our own space. 
you know, to me, Scott, he's the ultimate alchemist. He can pull together, you know, the greatest ideas and, and put it on the table. And my brain is more of a visionary slash observer. I'm into the details so I can see how it comes together. And I really enjoy that chemistry that we have. Scott, I think, is also a comedian in training. He's so funny. And I think that his <laughs> sense of humor allows us to find the moments where things could get really serious and go the wrong way in a different light. And so I think working together, we find the balance because of his personality and, and my personality and understanding how and what each of us needs in each moment. Has tennis, playing tennis, brought you closer together, Scott? Yes, it has, because that's how we started, is we, we just said we want to learn, and we went and got a, a coach, and every Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock, we would turn up to the club and be coached together. That's literally how it started, was to say, hey, we need to learn a new sport and challenge together, which is really cool, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, Kelly and I are, like, so codependent that maybe this is not healthy, but we would never, like, neither one of us, I think, at this point would really ever start, like, a sport or something. Without, consciously. Consciously with, like, out doing it with the other person because it's so hard for me to relate. Like, if you have one spouse who's into golf and they're gone for nine hours every Saturday playing golf, and the, like, that, that would be weird for us. And, this wouldn't you know, work for us. It, yeah, work it, for wouldn't, it wouldn't. It may work for other people and, you know, people are less codependent than we are, but that would be tough for us. So we actually, like, when it comes to sports, we, like, we do them together. Yeah, we're pretty similar in that regard. Like if we're going to try something, we do it together because when we try something, we're all in. Like we want to like the best experience. We want to go after it. Yeah, we don't really do learning things in moderation. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all or nothing. Scotty, tell me about what it's like to work with your wife because a lot of a lot of people come to us and say, how do you guys work together? I can never work with my spouse. And I'm like, I actually can't imagine working with anyone else. I mean, no one else would tolerate me, but no one else has the brain. I think they're asking the wrong question or don't realize they've already answered it. When someone says, how do you work with your, your, your life partner every day? I'm like, you've clearly got the wrong wife or life partner. How, what, it's a moot question. You do work with them every day to like get your kids ready. You're creating a home together. You're parenting kids together. You're building a, a life together. Like you're already doing everything together. So it's the idea that now we're innovating together and teaching together is the deal breaker. You, you've probably got the wrong partner in my mind. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of thought the team thing was what you were doing the whole time. I will say this though. The one thing I would add on is her ability to compliment. I've had to get really right-sized in my life, let alone my career, and let go of the things that don't serve me anymore, especially the things that I thought I was good at or were good for me and neither were true. <laughs> <laughs> it's called going from a boy to a man. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm emotionally like 18 now. I've grown up a lot. <laughs> I've definitely gone past puberty because of Haley. Her ability to absolutely recognize my character defects, whether it's personally or in this case, I'm talking about professionally, but not bring the heat like because I've got enough of that. You know, you have to know yourself honestly enough to say like, how are we going to be most emotionally compatible here? And so she has this unbelievable ability to see, right, yeah, that's your character defect. That's not serving you. You kind of suck at that. But deliver it in a way that says, like, hey, here's the solution. It takes a special person to do that with me. I won't accept that from many people. You're a big personality. I can understand why that would be tricky. 
you'd have to be a ninja to be able to deliver the cut, the coup de gras at the right moment. Exactly. Do the you actually, I'm sorry, I have to know, do you actually present it to him by using the word character defect? <laughs> <laughs> or is that his his own interpretation? Do Whole you say in it more diplomatically or do you just cut right to it and say character defect? Yeah, no, the language I use is more along the lines of opportunity. <laughs> mm. And there's an opportunity cost here. Uh, uh. One thing I'll add, though, is, you know, when you do everything together out of love and, and a shared pursuit of, of joy in your life, it's good to miss each other. And I said to Haley probably a, a year and a half into the pandemic, I said, babe, as much as I love being with you, I miss missing you like those weekends on the road or that week in China where we weren't going together, you get your own space to, you know, you need that too. But then by day two or three, you're like, man, I have to get back to Haley and the pups and our sacred space. That's what we've created, that sacred space. And I said in the pandemic, like, babe, I miss missing you. Not because I want to be away from you. I just miss that feeling of, wow, you know, I want to get home to you. So it's interesting. As much as we wouldn't want it any other way, I've kind of missed missing that sometimes during the pandemic. Juliet will call. I have live with three incredible lionesses, women, and uh, sometimes I just lurk a lot around by the barbecue by myself. <laughs> <laughs> just like it's, you're just barbecuing chicken, and I'm like, mm-hmm, just barbecuing chicken. Just There's a myself. long history of that though, because when I went into labor with Georgia, which took way too long, Kelly actually was barbecuing during that at one and we had like an like a barbecue where you know not a gas but he had to like make the coals and everything so i'm just there like laboring away in the living room with, with three women literally three women. barbecuing yeah it was easy so you know there's a long history of barbecue self, self-soothing yeah. self-soothing that's why i self-soothe um <laughs> okay so we just a way to hold you forever you have created a ton of resources for people where can people find out more about the way you're coaching and what's going on uh, first and foremost, they can go to our website, pivotal-coaching.com. On social, we we use Instagram quite a bit. So at pivotal underscore coaching. And I will just point out to people, you should go there if you're a coach and just watch. There's so many great things. to. I really love just to be a voyeur on your, uh, on your coaching. You guys are very transparent about how you coach, and I appreciate that. Thank you. And likewise to you guys as well. Are your individual selves on the, uh, on the Insta? Hales the trainer is. <laughs> That's at Hales, H-A-I-L-S, the trainer. But Scott is not. <laughs> I haven't been on social media in 10 years. You lucky dog. You, we laugh because I'm not on social you media Lucky either. dog. Juliet's on social media about our family, but I'm actually not on social media. Our business, I mean, of course, I'm all over the ready state, but I'm not actually on social media. I just consume social media. You know, I will tell you guys, Kelly has an avatar on Facebook, Bryn Blaine, which oh boy. is a long story, but the, um, <laughs> it was, he had been, I'd been with one of my best friends, Mags, you guys probably know Mags from the Ready State. It was like five years into Kelly being Bryn Blaine and I was always tagging Bryn Blaine. And she said, who's this Bryn Blaine you're always doing stuff with? And I'm like, dude, you're my best friend. <laughs> like, that's Kelly. <laughs> Bryn Blaine is Kelly. That's his avatar. So... You know, that's always one way to do it. If you want to get back in there, Scott, you could just create an avatar and no one will know. I love it. Until <laughs> until it's revealed on yeah. national television. <laughs> you two, thank you so much. Speedy recovery. Make those people you're playing pay. Just make them, just break them at the net. Make them do the splits. Make them twist, crush them. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Thanks for having us. This was lovely. The time flew. I think we could just do another hour of... Like I said, having a private conversation publicly. That's what it felt like. And thanks, exactly. and thanks for being That's the, the, goal. the official 10th P3 
people, the tenth yeah, person. Really appreciate you guys. I feel being like here. you are. Uh, you're miss. You're you're seeing things that the rest of us are missing, and I wanted to bring it bring it out. So thank you so much. Lovely. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening to the Ready State podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it.